Welcome everyone to the AI in Business podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Carlo Giovine, a partner with McKinsey and lead for Quantum Black Labs. He joins us on today's program to share findings from McKinsey's State of AI in 2022 report and why the nuances of the study run slightly counter to a lot of the cliches we find in the current hype cycles of AI-associated technologies like large language models and conversational AI. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Carlo, thank you so much for being with us on the program. Thank you, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. And taking a closer look at the findings of the State of AI report from McKinsey, reviewing where things stand as far as as the end of 2022, what I really found interesting about this report is in the nuances, it ran against two big cliches I've seen a lot of business leaders use as a premise to talk about a lot of business problems. And that's first off that, you know, we're coming up on a new or a next normal. And yeah, that that trickles out, that has a broader, I think, context post-COVID-19. But from what we've seen in AI of, you know, this narrative that a lot of AI was in progress by 2019 and that, you know, the pandemic caused us to age about two decades as a, as it sometimes ends up getting called in terms of how fast we accelerated a lot of AI capabilities thanks to the pandemic. Your report notes uh, kind of a leveling off of AI investment between 2019 and 2022, and that runs somewhat contrary, as do a couple of other points. To what ends does your report reflect those trends and where do those trends stop in your view? Thank you, Matthew. I think the, uh, you know, the actual McKinsey State of AI report is a great tool for for leaders, you know, for business leaders, there are a number of different findings. It is true that you know the investment, as you said, uh, essentially kind of level off, as well as the adoption. As increased the adoption has increased from 2017 to essentially you know 2019, and then peaked. I think it's inherently worst uh, companies have scaled their own uh, you know their own digital capabilities during COVID. They've also focused on the areas where they could really drive value. And so not really going after a large number of problems, but really doubling down on what really mattered in, in that context. I think the research came out of essentially at the end of 2022, which is also a bit of a pivotal moment for the whole industry, as we know about you know, what happened with essentially ChatGPT and and, yep. and all you know generative AI. I'm sure that as soon as we rerun the survey at the end of this year, we may see a bit of different picture that's going to emerge. I think absolutely, especially for a lot of sectors we see around financial services, insurance, a lot of text-heavy industries. What sectors do you think should be paying attention to LLMs or even generative AI that has that has a couple of different dimensions to it that can go to text, that can go between forms of media. Uh, What sectors should be paying attention to those capabilities that aren't at this point? And what use cases are we not talking about, given kind of the media hype over especially LLMs right now? I think this technology is really applicable across sectors. The technology has really been able to actually demonstrate the applications into like 
essentially marketing and sales use cases, so the ability to create content, to to the ability to create essentially first drafts. It's also already demonstrated the ability to change more on the upside operations and so customer service and engagement with you know customers across channels. It's also taken off a lot in the software development space. And so when you think about IT as a function, which is broadly applicable across industries, banking specifically, it is a knowledge-rich industry. And one of the most applicable use of the actual technology is to search through knowledge, to do question and answering workflows. And so I think banking will benefit from uh, using the actual technology to power some of the processes they have, for example, at the level of back office and inquiring those you know, customer contracts or policies for products, as well as using the actual technology to support some of the customer-facing workflows. And so, for example, Morgan Stanley came, came up publicly and, and, and talked about they using the, the actual technology to help their own financial advisors in having better conversations with their customers. Yeah, absolutely. I think conversational AI writ large. But I I think what I really appreciate from your last answer is that a lot of these sectors are finding that LLMs are just the front door to bring customers to the data. And that's, that's really what's happening here. And that's taking a couple of different forms as a lot of this technology trickles out. Very curious as to what do you see as the number of AI capabilities being used by companies doubling? Those combinations of of those functionalities, like you see machine learning and, and NLG predominantly used in a lot of financial services and customer experience. And this was this sort of laid out in the report. And, you know, we find in a lot of our research, manufacturing tends to be, you know, trying to predict when the items are going to arrive in inventory. And that's that's predominantly machine learning and predictive analytics. And when we talk about artificial intelligence capabilities, that's a lot of different things across mediums. One form of artificial intelligence, optical character recognition, for example, has nothing to do with machine learning, but used in tandem with machine learning does things like intelligent document processing. What I really got out of your report is, you know, we're really dove into kind of, you know, the ones we don't really, really talk about enough. And I was hoping we can kind of touch into those. I know there's the report mentions, like I said, natural language generation in computer vision. Do you want to talk about that maybe a a little bit about where we're seeing that in the sectors where those use cases are proliferating? Thinking about the combinations of, you know, different techniques, I think you're right. So so we see, for example, combinations of NLP to be able to extract terms from unstructured data and documents. And of course, the new wave of generative, you know, generative AI has changed a bit the game in, in that space. And then the idea of feeding the information that you, you know, take out of those documents and you fit into models, they are able to predict outcomes for your customers. A good example will be banking where improving your own credit risk models through information that you were not able to access before. We also see this in the world of generative AI where the idea of creating essentially personal messages for your customers can be done in combinations with essentially the more traditional next best action engines that some of the companies have built to be able to really understand what is what is the product that your customer is mostly interested in or what is the type of communication and channel the customers the customers will be engaged on. So so I think the you can see combinations of multiple techniques where there is, you know, essentially extracting information from text using 
to create more quote unquote signal for your model or you know appending the actual generation of language on what is your understanding of your customer preferences I'm hoping that, you know, from even that answer, I know we gave something very, very specific because we involved natural language generation, another AI capability that the use cases you just discussed really went into text-based industries that's going to lean financial services. Even going back to what I was saying before, you'll hear about computer vision even in manufacturing, but in a completely different capacity. And I'm wondering if we can illuminate even, you know, for the business leaders tuning into the show who've heard of computer vision from the manufacturing side, maybe looking at factories and taking right. physical data. You know, it, it's a, it's the same function, but used in a different environment, a different way provides you completely different insight. Computer vision, for sure. It's a capability you can apply across industries. You spoke about manufacturing where we have seen the applications that mostly links to quality. For example, you will make, for example, parts and components. Yep. And the idea of, Fifteen quality of those parts and components through essentially computer vision is it is quite powerful and applied, but the same technology can be you know can be used in other industries. And so, for example, when you think about shipping, you you would like to uh, monitor flows or cargoes using the very same tool applied to, for example, some of the actual satellite images to be able to you know track the ships or understand the cargo in your ships. And so, the actual technology computer vision is an example, can be applied across industries. Right, right. And in different capacities has has very different applications and different results even coming from the same essential technology. And I I think this is the conversation happening across the board. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that 1997 Apple Summit conference answer from Steve Jobs. He's talking down the developer. You know, Steve Jobs is saying, you know, hey, developer, you're talking about, you know, the latest capabilities of Java. And that is just so esoteric. And the customer just doesn't have that coding, that deep technology knowledge. And they just really care about what they can use it for. And we're now seeing this play out 25 years later, in my mind, across the board. I want to ask you about the growth that the report noted that we've seen in budgets towards AI over 12% and crossing the 50% threshold to 52% in 2022. That's up from 40% in 2018. How does this reflect, in your view, a, a growing understanding of how ROI works for artificial intelligence from boards and shareholders? Because this can be very opaque. And something that we hear over and over again is the hardest part can be getting that executive buy-in. I think definitely, the, uh, as, you can, as you can see from the report, there is an increase in investment. And more and more enterprises have, have started to see some of the value coming through the door. I think, I think it, will, it has manifested in few areas. For example, you know the marketing and sales area where... Uh, they've been used to uh, engage your customers differently. You previously you were you were mentioning COVID and how and how the investment has grown through COVID. Of course, the you know the rise of digital channels have created more opportunities for for companies to use those capabilities to create more ways of engaging with customers, essentially personally and timely. When they when they measure value across industry. I think they also look at the value this is creating in in other functions, like for example, operations and some of the heavier processes is actually you know have actually been digitized. We spoke about manufacturing. Manufacturing is an industry where you require investments to be made 
to get the actual digitizations in your supply chain. So whether that's a level of sensors or cameras or a level of machinery that can actually communicate digitally and share data. So I think there's a process where you have to invest to, to get to value. But the direction of the industry is clear. I think AI, it is creating value. At times, it may not be as directly measurable immediately, but it, it creates a capability that continue to unlock new opportunities and new ways of you know, creating value. And even at times, most of the investment may not go into building those models or using the fancier tools, but may go into building the data that is that is required to uh, power those models. And even the value of the data that you have created create a new set of opportunities for essentially the business to get access to a new level of transparency, a new level of insights, and even using those data sets into other processes. Right, right, right. I loved what the report had to mention in terms of best practices for strategy, data model development, but especially in talent and and, and workflows. As you see AI capabilities ultimately take root in these sectors where we see, you know, optimal efficiencies, the path of least resistance to ROI, especially in talent and workflows, how should business leaders be thinking of assembling teams for AI adoption, starting from scratch, especially? When you assemble a team in the space, I think what is really important, and we've seen over and over as a as a key factor to be able to succeed is to create a team which is cross-functional. When I say cross-functional, I mean a team which really has a stronger representation of the business side. And so the people, they fully understand the actual domain where you want to apply AI, the process, the choices that you make, the risks, the complexity of dealing with the process, as well as the people, they know how to essentially build those solutions. And so the scientists, the engineers, the technical architects, and, and having them joined up where you are starting from the business problems and the workflow and the process you want to change and having those tools embedded into that process as you develop them, which are also involving involving other roles in, in, in your company. And so may well be risk and compliance where they need to understand what are the changes that are coming up and how they can impact some of the frameworks or, or some of the controls they've put in place. And so it's having this cross-functional team and lab, I see it over and over and over, the key element for success, if you don't have it, very often the effort kind of results in either the business not using using what the technical team has produced or the, the, the essentially the business having a subscale capability, which is not really changing how they work and therefore not driving the value and eventually stopping using it. Right, right. We're still seeing that across the board in a, in a lot of sectors, especially even as we appear out of pandemic. And I know the various economic forces that went along with pandemic, even the trends that were extant without, a lot of it drove, I think, some successful AI use cases and in many cases drove the ones that were going to die out. But I think that this really gives us a, a really broad picture of at least what the from the talent side, uh, how we have to think of things. But Carlo, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast this week. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
Wrapping up today's episode, I think a popular video you can find on LinkedIn, if not on mainstream, so to speak, social media, is from the 1997 World Developers Conference for Apple. I'm mucking up the exact title of the conference, but it's a very popular YouTube video. You could probably find it on that search prompt alone. And it's a video of former... Apple CEO Steve Jobs talking to a computer developer about the superiority of JavaScript, something that the developer is very, very passionate about and he thinks Steve Jobs is wrong about. And Steve Jobs replies with a speech that has become a mantra for a lot of business leaders in the time since, especially in this era of consumer-driven products. I know this is very much a, a video going through the rounds for a lot of B2B vendors, but Steve Jobs basically tells the computer developer that Java may be superior in many ways that speak to your expertise, but the customer and the customer experience simply does not care about those capabilities. They only care what they can do with those capabilities. And if there's a tool that is inferior, but performs that capability more efficiently, then that will be more successful in light of the customer experience. And I know I'm repeating this in language that is slightly altered from what Steve Jobs said, but relating it back to our conversation today. If only because I want to put a finer point on the fact that I think this conversation is only going to be so relevant. This YouTube video, this line of thinking that customer experience is going to be ignorant of computer development. Yeah, I think there's an expiration date on that. I think it's going to move fast before our eyes. I think this is all going to move very quickly, but I think we're coming up on a moment where the customer in many spaces is as well-versed in why JavaScript is superior and might ask for JavaScript, if I can use that analogy, from the 1997 Apple World Developers Conference. If that's even the name of the event, again, I know you can search on it from that prompt on YouTube just with those words alone. It's a very, very fascinating exchange and I think really echoes in tech history, not just in Silicon Valley, but now through everything we're seeing in financial services. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge Technology Research, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast.